Let's go. Let's go. Oh, oh did you want to? Sorry. sorry. I'll let you. I'll let you. Next time. I'm in love with you. Snap out of it. I'll have what she's having. Too many guys think I'm a concept or I complete them or I'm going to make them alive. I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. Caustic wit is my religion. I would make a great queen because I am so stubborn. I say when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents. Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 109 of Citizen Dame, the podcast where we're all alone together. I am Karen Peterson, joined, as always, by my amazing co-host, Lauren Humphreys-Brooks. Hello. And today we have, we are welcoming back, our special guest, Nanita Gilder. Hello. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm doing okay. Um, My... uh coffee shop that I work at has finally closed, so um, I don't have to interact with lots of Derby customers anymore, so that's good. Thank goodness. Congratulations. Huh. It's Isn't it sad how we celebrate now that, like, not having to go to work? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yay, I don't like, have a job close. to do. Woohoo! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm actually going to be going back to work on Monday, but we're working from home. So I, this whole thing happened right at the end of the first half of our semester and we were going on spring break. And so, uh, when I left for spring break, they, and I was just staying at home since I was originally supposed to go to South by. And, um, when we left for spring break, the, st- the plan was still like, Hey, we'll see you guys a week from Monday. And then it was just weird. Cause it's like every Every day they kept changing it a little bit more and I was like, guys, just just say that you're closing this school. Like, I know you're trying so hard not to and you shouldn't try that hard because the news is getting worse, not better. So yeah. they finally relented, but Yeah, yeah. the the fact it, it's it's very annoying that it has taken some of the states this long to really put directives in it. I know that they were kind of hoping that they could limit uh, what they had to do, but it, at this point, it's just like everybody stay the fuck home. <laughs> like, yeah. if you don't have to leave, stay. Exactly. I mean, the fact that I know that we don't necessarily need to do everything in life the same as other countries, and even a lot of things. But when there's a a deadly virus that is killing people, just follow the lead of people who've had it first and do what they're doing to mitigate it and I don't I don't I don't know why people were so stubborn on this one it really makes me mad especially since this whole thing really shows how interconnected everyone in the world is Mm -hmm. Um, it's true it's like a very grim of grim game of six degrees of separation (laughs) I saw I think think that someone on, on Twitter said like man if Kevin Bacon gets this thing we're all screwed yeah. <laughs> Check on Kevin Bacon. <laughs> you know, that's funny because I saw him post something the other day about, like, staying away from people, and I can't remember how he worded it, but, yeah, it was it was from him, and it made me think of that, so that's funny. So, um, well, it's weird because there wasn't really 
any news this week since everything is canceled. <laughs> Nothing has happened. So no, um, canceled. Yep, pretty much. I mean, Harvey Weinstein's still a rapist, and yeah. he did get transferred from Rikers. He's now in a maximum security prison. Um, I guess it'll be a while before his LA trial starts. So, <laughs> but that's okay. He's in prison yeah. for being a rapist. And you don't need to say allegedly anymore. Exactly, because he's not allegedly a rapist. He is a rapist, and I will never get tired of being able to say that. Anyway, um, although I don't want to talk about him anymore. Um, but that was that's some happy news. Um, Kenny Rogers died today. That's not happy. Yeah, I didn't that's hear sad. that. Oh. Yeah, I heard it this morning. He died of at age eighty-one. Wow. So I totally grew up on his music. My grandparents major, my mom too, major into country and Western music. And so that was a little bit weird. I was like, oh, yeah, I totally grew up on Kenny Rogers and Willie Nelson and all those guys. Yeah. So, um, but let's see, there was a couple, there were a couple of things that did come out this week. It's, it's interesting how the innovation or just the unlocking of doors and, and just trying new things has happened this week just because what else do we have to do? So there are a few things that have happened. Um, yesterday, Universal released The Invisible Man and The Hunt both on demand. You and can Emma. rent them. Oh, what's that? And Emma. Yes, and Emma too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you can rent them for $19.99. Uh, they did do watch parties yesterday with the directors for uh, The Hunt and and uh, The Invisible Man. And I didn't rent the movie, but I was reading through the tweets and I was like, oh, these are some fun tidbits. Hmm, I wish that had been more clear in the movie. Oh, that's interesting. You know, <laughs> like, that was kind of my experience. But, um, but that was fun. But then there was also, um, there are going to be some more, like Disney announced that they're going to put Onward on, they've already made it available as of last night uh, to purchase, but then they're going to release it on demand or on, sorry, on Disney plus April 3rd, I think. And there are a few more movies that are going to be releasing that way. Um, Trolls world tour is going to be available on demand and some other ones. I can't think of what else is coming, but one of the cool things that's happening is that Kino Lorber has partnered with independent theaters across the country to be able to show some of their um, some of their independent films, which I think is is awesome. Lauren, why don't you talk a little bit more about that one? Yeah, this this popped up. Uh, I think nearing so like the middle middle of last week that Kino Lorber uh, is launching something called that they're calling Kino Marquee. Um, which are essentially going to feature screenings of films that would that would otherwise be playing at various independent cinemas. Uh, so some of some of the first screenings are with New York's um, Film at Lincoln Center and the Brooklyn Academy of Music, and they're so they're releasing um, Bakuru, which is uh, it's a Brazilian it's a Brazilian film that I believe involves like a zombie outbreak. So you know. <laughs> 
you know. among a couple of other things. But it's supposed to be a very, very good film. And um, and essentially, they're they're going to charge like twelve dollars a ticket, and they're treated essentially as though you're going to the cinema, and are and they're dividing um, ticket prices between the between distribution and the theater itself. So it's kind of there's, they're using it as a way to get these films out there and to also continue to support um, independent theaters that are that are going to be very hard hit by uh, by all of the closings and everything. So it's it's a really cool it's a really cool thing, and um, they're they're continuously adding theaters right now. They've got like they've got Film at Lincoln Center, BAM, uh, Jacob Burns Film Center, the Little Theater in Rochester, New York, um, Santa Barbara. Oh, I was going to say, I was very excited to see uh, the theater near me, the Frida Theater in Santa Ana is on the list. Too, yeah, so that's, that's cool. great. Den- Denver mm-hmm. Film, Belcourt Theater, Loft Cinema, Austin Film Society, Wexner Center for the Arts, Aperture Cinema, and the Santa Barbara International Film Festival Riviera Theater. <laughs> that is a long name for a theater. Um, but obviously, hopefully, they'll be able to get more theaters on board and be able to continue to do this. Just, you know, because some of these... These releases are, are the lifeblood of the theaters themselves. And also, there are very limited places to see some of these films. You know, independent filmmakers are going to be hurt by all of this as well, simply because they can't get their films released and distributed and, and paid for for people to see them. So it's good to see that Kino is kind of stepping up and is trying to do something. We'll hopefully see some more theaters get added so that we can see more films and continue to have, you know, Nothing's going to be normal for a while, but to continue to have a little bit of normalcy uh, in in our day to day lives. So I'm, I'm interested to see Baccarat. I didn't get to, it was released initially um, at the New York Film Festival, and I didn't get a chance to see it. But I'm kind of want to support my local theaters right now, so I might get a ticket. Yeah, it, it, this is going to be a hard time for especially um, independent theaters, um, which, I mean, I um, was, did programming for a um, small little cinema in a museum locally uh, for a year, and it is tough out there in the best of times for these independent um, cinemas, and having to close for very good reason, but um, having to close uh, is going to be really tough, and some of them are probably not going to be able to reopen their doors um and so uh it's really great of keno to be um trying to keep that from happening um uh but because these little independent cinemas can be often the only ways that people can see really interesting independent film and foreign film and documentaries um, that don't make enough uh, money in ticket sales for the megaplexes to get um, or to give up a screen that they've given to Disney. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm really into little independent theaters, and it's a tough, tough time for them. Uh, even before this and now after it, even more so. Yeah, exactly. I mean, people have been sort of making jokes about, like, oh, 
you know, since theaters are never going to reopen, what was the last movie you ever saw in a movie theater? <laughs> and I mean, obviously, theaters are going to reopen. Yeah. And, uh, and particularly the big ones are places like AMC and Regal and stuff like that. It's highly unlikely these companies are going to go under and there just aren't going to be any more theaters uh, in a couple months' time. But at the same time, yeah, exactly. There, there are all of these small independent theaters that really – that support communities, that support people, that give screens to lesser-known films, to films that wouldn't get screened otherwise. And the the loss of that uh, right now is is very tough. So it is good to see some companies being like, okay, let's how can we both continue to support these films and continue to support um, uh, local independent theaters? So hopefully more theaters will get added. Uh, and they'll be able to bring in at least a little bit of revenue to to continue to operate. Because, I mean, there are tons of, of great independent theaters in New York that I love and that I can't go to. I can't do anything about it, you know? Uh, well, yeah, and a lot of these theaters are nonprofit, so yeah. they, you know, they're not, like, like you mentioned, Nina, they're not able to get the Disney movie money because they're not screening Disney and Fox stuff. And the way that they survive is on um, patrons. They have a lot of these theaters have kind of their, their core group of people that go. And then depending on what they, what they show, they'll, they'll attract other, you know, casual visitors. But I hope that this will actually uh, help attract some people who normally kind of skip the independent films. And now it's like, well, you know, maybe check out that movie you normally would have missed out on or skipped over. Mm-hmm. Like for myself, I probably would have ended up missing out on background in the theater and watched it later at home. But now I can watch it at the time that it would have been playing yeah, in yeah. the theater. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and also just to mention, there are a number of these independent theaters that offer gift certificates and, mm-hmm things like that so that you can and and there so that you can buy, you know, okay, I'm going to buy a couple of tickets worth of gift certificates and either give them to other people or just go yourself when the theaters reopen and that's another good way to continue to support places. Um, yeah. and to kick them a little bit of money as, you know, to keep them alive. We we don't need we don't want our independent cinemas to die as a result of all of this. And um, the the getting of uh, gift certificates now also can really help um, uh, small businesses make this last payroll um, mm-hmm. for their employees um, because a lot of places. I mean, this time of year in a, I live in a sort of touristy area, and coming out of the winter, um, which is our slow time. Um, anyway, things have always been tight. And so, um, mm-hmm. a lot of places are just really on the knife's edge waiting for the boom in the summer. And so to have to, um, have something like this, um, now after having used up a lot of their reserve cash for the year over, to get through the winter, it, it's tricky. Um, so... The buying of gift certificates now, some people are like, oh, but doesn't it mean that at the other side, the people, um, the businesses won't get that money because you'll just be using the gift certificate. And it's like, well, first of all, not enough people are buying gift certificates for it to impact the bottom line at 
the other side. And right now is when these businesses really are needing um, uh, infusion uh, in order to hopefully make it through. So, um, well, yeah, yeah. And, and also, like, I know for, for this, the Frida Cinema right here, uh, okay, so I buy my gift certificates now, and I can go get some tickets when the, movie, when the theater reopens, but when I go there, I'm also going to be buying popcorn, mm. you know, or whatever, and so it's like, you're still going to be spending money later. You're just, you know, also- helping them out now. Also, there is there is going to be a boom when everybody is allowed oh, to yeah. go out again. And, and as and I, you know, my assumption is that that sort of this, the restrictions are going to relax at a certain point. They might not be completely lifted, but they're going to calm down. Mm-hmm. Um, and and at that point, people are going to want to go out. And you're going to want to go to restaurants and cafes and theaters and spend money, right, basically, because we'll, we'll all have been, in, you know, cooped up inside or very limited in our movements for a lot of a lot of it. Uh, and so so doing that right now, like Nanina is saying, is to really, really, really support um, the, the theaters at the moment so that they can reopen. And there are going to be a lot more people going at that point. Yeah. Yeah. The casual. um customers will come back when they're when this is over and they're all stir crazy um and so the the buying of gift certificates is really for the regulars who really want to it's just a nice thing to do um it's not sort of a requirement and not everyone can afford to do it but if you can it's it's a great thing to do and really appreciate it so yes support your local theaters Check out the Kino Lorber deal, Kino Marquee. I think it's going to be awesome. Let's all watch a movie together at home mm-hmm. alone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's that's the other thing. No, I, I I'm sorry, I just thought of this, but no. also, by the way, there are a number of like apps that you can use mm-hmm. on, um, like extensions and stuff like that that you can use to watch movies with friends. Uh, at the same time. So like last night, I mean, a couple of friends went on the app uh, or the, the Chrome extension Netflix party where you can actually just sit and watch a Netflix film. And they've got, there's a little chat window where um, everybody logs in and you can type things like comment on the movie, but you're watching the movie together in real time and chatting about it in real time. And it was really nice. Like, you know, it's it's very simple, but at the same time, it's just like, oh, this is kind of nice. You know, we're, we're experiencing the same thing at the same time and we're getting to talk about it. And so it's not it's not the same as going over to a friend's house and sitting on the couch and doing that. But it, it does kind of give you something to do and a different way of interacting with cinema and stuff like that. And I think that a number of um a number of streaming services do have these kinds of extensions that you can get on, on Chrome and on Firefox, et cetera, where you can actually just sit there and watch something with people. We watched Space Jam, which uh, <laughs> I don't think I have seen since 1996. Uh, and that is definitely a movie. Uh, How much wine was consumed in the process? <laughs> I mean, I, I had a margarita and a beer. Um, at, at one point, like I, all 
all that was happening to me was that I kept on going like, oh man, I completely forgotten about this. It's like, oh wow, that's the plot? Jesus Christ. <laughs> There's some weird shit that goes on in that movie. It also has the sexiest soundtrack of any kid's movie I have ever seen. Like, there's like all of this sexiness. They're just like, oh yeah, basketball. It's like, holy shit. This is like a thirsty oh, film. That's that one with that R. Kelly uh, song in it, isn't it? Oh, is it? Oh, is it? I I don't know. Like I, I I just remembered. I think it's got an R. Kelly song that was everywhere for a while. (laughs) Does it have "I Believe I Can Fly"? Yes, constantly. Yeah, Uh, yeah, that's the one. (laughs) Oh man! But yes, so watch watch movies with your friends, even if you can't be in the same room. You can still watch Mm. together, and it's fun. And my friends and I are doing it, and um. Yeah, it's a good way to still feel connected because this is the thing. It's like it gets lonely when you're all by yourself and having ways to reach out to other people is is really it really matters. Mm-hmm. So um, here are some movies that you can watch with some of your friends. Um, <laughs> it's Women's History Month and we have kind of neglected talking about this the last couple of weeks, but um, but that's okay. We're going to Fix that now with some recommendations for movies for women's history. So, Nanina, would you like to start off with some that well you would recommend? Um, there, there, there are so many. It's the the thing, um, <laughs> and and I I've been going in kind of deep on um, especially um, films directed by women before 1960 recently. Uh, I, I actually was doing a seminar at a local um, museum um, uh, about this, um, and uh, one thing that's really great is that Netflix has um, part of the Kina Lorber um, box set, uh, Pioneers, First Women Filmmakers, um, and uh, there are some really fun uh films um from really the beginning of cinema because the fact is that women kind of invented cinema (laughs) (laughs) to to a certain degree like the the first director to really systematically develop cinema as a storytelling medium um was alice gee um and uh she um Started in 1896, um, and uh, for reference, the um, uh, Lumiere brothers first put out their uh, um, reproducible means of doing cinema in 1895. So, um, and she made over a thousand, uh, many of them just less than a minute long or a minute long films over the course of 25 year of 25 year career. Um, and, uh, the, um, so on Netflix, uh, they have her short film, um, falling leaves, which is a really beautiful, uh, story of, uh, two sisters and the, the younger sister, uh, when, when the older sister gets sick um the 
younger sister is trying to do everything she can, and she's only like a little four-year-old, um, so she doesn't have a full concept of what she possibly can do, but she just wants her sister to survive. Um, and uh, there's some really beautiful cinematography in it um, and a very sweet performance by a little girl actress. Um, and uh, there's also The Ocean Wave, um, mm. which is a... Of, it's a fragment in that it is not the complete film. Um, a lot of early films have gotten lost to some degree. Um, but The Ocean Wave um, really has a delightful performance in it. Um, and I'm trying, I'm forgetting the name of the actress, actually. Um, but um, uh, it's a melodrama um, from... Uh, 1916 uh, I believe yes um, and uh, it's Dor Doris Kenyon um, who um, is hiding away from her abusive father and she ends up haunting a novelist who's on his, his on retreat to finish his book and uh, she's hiding out in his rental home which is said to be haunted. Um, and it's quite a lot of fun. Um, so th those can give you just a little taste of who Alice Guy was and what um, sorts of films uh, she was making. Um, and it's just great that it's available on Netflix. Um, and um, uh they, um, uh, two others that I really like that are on part of the Netflix box set, uh, or the, the Netflix, um, Pioneers uh, set is The Curse of Quan Guan, which is a really important early American independent film. Um, so in some ways it does not have a studio behind it. It is very much, um, made on a budget, but it is one of the uh, earliest um, Chinese-American films, and it was directed by Marion Wong, who at the time was only 21 or 22, um, and she uh, wrote and directed it um, and is also one of the characters. Unfortunately, with that one, it's maybe a little hard to get into because... It is also a fragment, and what remains does not have any intertitles. So uh, it it's a little hard to follow, but it's a beautiful and fascinating film. And a lot of times people don't realize that people from all different backgrounds were making film. Um, uh, film at that time was such a new and exciting thing that if people were able to, were interested and able to get a camera, then it didn't matter where you were from. There, there were um, film um, businesses popping up all over the world. And we have such a sort of American, white American and Eurocentric view of um, cinema often. Um, and it's just um, 
good to keep in mind that uh, women from all different backgrounds were were out there making films. Um, and yeah, film is also such a such an ease, particularly in the silent period and, and the early period that you're talking about. It was able to cross over so well because it was silent. Yeah, and you, so you you don't have language barriers particularly. You you've got and and even as film became more advanced and you began incorporating intertitles more and more, uh, there was there were a lot of businesses where you would have d- different prints of films for uh, to have with English intertitles or German or Japanese or whatever language you were distributing the film. And so there was there's a way in which it was a much more ubiquitous. Uh, medium because you know you can watch you could watch a film that it was not you know necessarily made it was made in germany and you don't speak german but it's silent so it doesn't really matter you don't need to speak german to understand what's happening and i always really like that about early cinema it's very it it could be very international and translate very easily um but uh and also what's fun about the curse of kwan guan is it's about a modern Chinese American girl marrying into a very much more traditional Chinese family, and that nice tension between what uh, a Chinese American girl um, in the early 1900s was like, as opposed to what the more traditional families were like, and uh, that little bit of interior culture shock mm-hmm. um, is fun to see, especially uh, from over a century ago. Um, yeah. Um, uh, and uh, on um, Prime, there's uh, some, unfortunately, usually public domain prints, but some uh, fun films that you can find uh that are from the talking era more um and sort of mid-century they do have on prime most of Ida Lupino's films um it's best to see them uh in the restored versions that Kino Lorber has just released but in a pinch the getting to see the hitchhiker it is available on prime for free uh, as is Not Wanted, I don't know how good the print of Not Wanted is. Um, and Prime also, funnily enough, has several Muriel Box films. She was a mid-century British um, director um, and screenwriter. And uh, her little thriller, Eyewitness, um, is quite a lot of fun. Um, set in uh, the course of one night... Um, uh, mostly in a hospital, um, and uh, and Prime also has a couple of Dorothy Davenport Reed films, which are kind of fun to watch because they they were not very high quality. They just were kind of fun. Like uh, <laughs> the Woman Condemned, it's not a good movie. It doesn't even have a screenwriter listed, and I think that's partly because I'm not sure if they had one. <laughs> but <laughs> but it's 
it's just a lot of fun. There's like a hard-boiled woman detective who's trying to chase, uh, track down a radio star who has vanished and lots of things go on and I don't know how it fits everything that happens into an hour, but it does. And the sets are kind of shot. It's, it's a Poverty Row 1930s film, but it's kind of a proto-noir and just kind of weird and, as I said, not good, but fun. <laughs> um, there are definitely some films that fall into that category, even from some truly great directors. Yeah. You go like, this is oh, not yeah. good, but I like it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Well, thank you, Nanita. Yeah. Um, how about you, Lauren? Oh God, there are a lot. You know, it's it's interesting. So when I went to the uh, this this is this is sort of related to to directors, but um, when I went to the, actually the last film that I saw in a theater before all of this happened was The Lady Vanishes. Uh, when I went to go see it at Film Forum a couple of weeks ago. And one of the reasons why they were doing this thing at Film Forum is because they were talking about specifically um, the contributions that uh, Hitchcock's wife, Alma Reville, and his assistant, and then eventually a, a major producer, Joan Harrison, made to his career. And, and they were also showing films that they had written or produced, et cetera, independent of Hitchcock. And so one of the films that um, that Alma actually wrote is The Passing of the Third Floor Back, which is a 19, it's a 1930s, uh, it's based, it's originally based on a play and then it was adapted into a film, uh, which is like this, it's a very bizarre kind of 1930s uh, story about, about a small boarding house where basically everybody is terrible. And there, and everyone is kind of like doing things that they they really are not happy about. That they're worried about money, they're worried about prestige, they're worried about um, survival, and they're kind of always sniping and, and grappling with each other. And into this comes Conrad Veet, uh, who is. It's not really clear what he is, but the implication <laughs> as the film goes on is that he's a guardian angel. Uh, and he begins to sort of try to shape the way that these people relate to each other. It's a really interesting film. And I, uh, according to some of the, the reviews at the time, it apparently toned down some of the more overt, like moralism of the original play. And it's, it, but it's very odd because Conrad Veet, we're very used to seeing Conrad Veet in very sinister roles. Uh, he did play good guys on occasion, but in this film, like when he shows up, you're just like, Oh my God, he's going to kill them all. Like that was, and, and he's actually treated and filmed in this very sinister way. And then as you begin to realize what his character is up to and what they're doing, he, he becomes less and less sinister, but it's a really fascinating kind of look at, uh, at not just as at beats persona, but also it's a very complex film about, the way that human beings relate to each other and um, and the way that we can kind of pick up the the better, better the better parts of human nature if we sort of maybe shift our focus a little bit. But it's a really interesting film. Um, the other one that I recently saw that Joan Harrison produced, and Joan Harrison was she was Hitchcock's assistant. She was uh, 
uncredited as as a scriptwriter on a number of his films. She uh, was a major creative force behind the Alfred Hitchcock Presents television show. Uh, and but one of the first films that she produced independently was Phantom Lady, uh, which again is a very female centric film noir. Uh, about a man who is accused of murdering his wife, and the only proof that he has that he was like he was out when she died, but they cannot find anybody. The police and the investigators and the lawyers cannot find anybody to admit that they actually saw him. And he interacted with uh, a mysterious woman whose name he never got, who he just went out to the theater with. And so his his secretary decide his secretary who is in love with him decides that she is going to prove his innocence and go out and look for this woman and try to find out why no one is acknowledging the fact that this this you know he he wasn't present when his wife died. Uh, it is fantastic. It really is a wonderful film noir. It is incredibly female centric. It is very much about a very wrong and intelligent and capable woman changing herself going out trying to do things that um that a lot of people don't consider that she's equipped for there is a wonderful sequence where she actually follows a man home and in watching it I was just like you know this is really sinister and dark because uh, she she follows him because she thinks he uh he's being bribed that he has information that he's not telling people so, but as she follows him, it takes his perspective. So it is, it's essentially watching this young woman stalking a man through like darkened streets and stuff like that. So it's this really fascinating role reversal that we're so used to like, oh, the, the lone woman being followed home alone at night. This is a lone man being followed home alone at night by a young woman. And so it's, it's a really fascinating film. It is available to rent uh, in fairly good quality on Vudu and also I believe on Amazon Prime. But it's, it's so well done. It's so well constructed. And uh, I do think I've been reading... Uh, the book about Joan Harrison and Joan Harrison has been severely underestimated both in terms of her influence on Hitchcock's work and, but then also just in her contribution to cinema and to television in general. So I would definitely encourage people to check it, check these things out. Well, thank you so much. What were you going to say? Oh, I just said nice. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Lauren. Um, well, this week I, because I was on spring break, I've been watching a lot of stuff and just, you know, catch like some has been revisiting things that I already know and love. And, um, some of it has been trying to find things that are new to me. And of course I did re sign up for criterion this week, which has been great. And I've been going through trying to figure out, okay, what do I have to watch before March 31st? Cause it's going to disappear. Yeah. And so yesterday I was watching the adventures of Prince Ahmed, which I had never seen before. And I was like, Oh, what the heck? I'll, I'll check this out. And it's, it's interesting. It's definitely, I mean, it's obviously it's missing some stuff cause it's, um, it's interesting how many of the German films, because of everything that happened with preservation and stuff, have just kind of a lot of the original prints have been lost. But, um, but it was interesting to watch this and see the early style of animation. This is considered one of the first animated feature films, if not the first. And 
Um, just watching the way that, that she put it together where it's all silhouettes, so you don't really see facial features in any of the characters. The costumes are pretty simple because it's basically just like pieces of cardboard or, or um, can't remember the other materials she used. I was looking up some of it, but, um, and then they just move them across the, the scene. And I don't know, it was a really interesting film to, to watch and kind of what you guys were, well, especially you, Nanina, what you're talking about with these really old films back from the, the early days when people are just learning how to use this medium and, and what could be done with it. And it's really fun to see some of the, the very earliest innovations. And, um, it's really important to experience those things. It does not mean that you have to go to film school, but there are lots of ways to get educated. <laughs> uh, the Adventures of Prince Ahmed is one of my favorite films. Oh. Is it? Yeah, and Lotte Reinecker, just she was so incredible, and um, in in creating it, she and her team created the first version of the multiplane camera for animation because there was so much complexity to the silhouette. Um, animation that she was doing that they needed to have different levels um, so that they could independently animate background, foreground, midground, um, and also create effects between the two or three layers. Um, and so uh, they really um, created a, a important innovation for the history of animation um, not only in creating one of the first, if not the first, feature-length animated films, but technically in coming up with this solution to how to introduce depth and a little bit of perspective, even in what is uh, a flat um, uh, medium, um, uh, especially with all of the silhouettes, and the amount of detail that she could get in bringing yeah. these mm -hmm. silhouettes to life and the, the articulations of the hands and the eyes. Oh, I, I absolutely love Lotta. <laughs> I think she's incredible. Um, I thought it was really great. I was, I was so excited while I was watching it and yeah. I was captivated, you know, and it's, it's, it's just fun. I mean, she used color in this yeah. and it, and that wasn't something that was added later. That was how the film was created, which I didn't know that until I was, you know, reading up on it when I was getting ready to watch it. And I just, yeah, the, the way that the trees look and the animals and, and the, it's so fun watching the horse just like fly off and, <laughs> and it's like, boom, there goes. And I, yeah. What were and, you going to say, Lauren? Uh, no, I was just going to say, because there, there are also a number of her shorter animated films that are still available uh, in in various in various forms, because she made she made a number of films. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the Adventures of Prince Ahmed was one of the was one of the few feature length films that she did. But she made a number that were like 20, 30 minutes that are, are just as fantastic. And one of the awesome things about about early cinema, since, that's, since we're talking about that, is that no one really knew what cinema was supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, and you see this across the board. It, so there's like, there's a lot of discussion about the cinema of spectacle or um, which is where you get things like, you know, Oh, we're going to, you know, we're going to video or we're going to, we're going to film, um, you know, a guy 
firing a gun or a circus or something like that, that this, that is going to be very exciting to watch and to bring these things to people that have never seen it. And others were like, no, no, you know, people like the Lumiere brothers were like, no, this is, this is doc- it's documentary. Essentially, we're going to document uh, everyday life and everyday behavior. And so there are all of these different ways that people were like, what can we do with this medium that is brand new, that doesn't really have any, rules attached to it yet uh and how can we play with it and change it and there are some things that we've just forgotten about that we we kind of relate to you know all right so it's the continuity narrative and continuity editing and it's you know it's almost this novelistic form whereas in the very early days like you watch things just like why did someone sometimes it's like why did someone think this was a good idea and other times just like holy shit i didn't know that film could do that and it's it's so fast early films are really fascinating yeah, and if you have not had the chance to see The Adventures of Prince Achmed, I really recommend it. Watch that. I'm definitely going to check out some of her other work, too, now, because I'm really curious. What were you going to add, Danina? Um, uh, I, I do want to say that um, uh, Achmed um, was made in 1926, and in general, most of it... Um, in terms of avoiding racial caricatures is pretty good, though, unfortunately, this section in China is a little bit um, yeah. not the best. <laughs> um, yeah. And I do yeah. think it's important to, to bring up. Um, uh, I mean, all of the characters technically are people of color in it. Um, and most of them are um, portrayed with dignity, um, and uh, which is, of course, what everyone wants. Um, but the depiction of the Emperor of China and um, his sort of uh, jester, you're, I just want to put out there that that is not the high point of the film. Um, yes. But there's so much that's good in it as well, Um, and uh, it's uh, a really stunning piece of cinema, yeah. Yeah. Um, The other film that I wanted to mention that I watched again yesterday, it's new on Amazon Prime, and that is Blow the Man Down, directed by Danielle Crudy and Bridget Savage-Cole. And this is one that I actually saw last year at AFI in November. It premiered, I think, at Tribeca. That was the first place it showed. And then it was at a couple of different festivals. And now, somewhere along the way, Amazon picked it up. It's released yesterday. So it's available on Prime. And it is about two sisters in this small town in uh, Maine. I think it's Maine. It's like a fishing town. And they... Their mother has just passed away, and they have her fish um, market, shop, whatever you want to call it. Um, But it's going under. They have a lot of bills. They're stressed out about things. One sister wants to leave town and go away to college. The other wants to stay because she loves it there. And then there are these old ladies that were friends of their mom. And uh, one of the... One of the women is Margot Martindale. Character actress Margot Martindale. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I love her. And, what um, are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> so. 
Well, I'll tell you what she's doing here. She is running a brothel. And uh, <laughs> she's on the outs with the other friends. And they decide it's time to shut the place down. And um, so there's just a lot of stuff going on in the town. There's secrets. There's there's lies. There's a murder. Um, possibly two murders. And... Um, cover-ups and all kinds of things and it's just really intriguing it's really fun um it's like some of it's really funny and other parts of it are just very dramatic but it blends the tones very well and the performances are great june squibb is in it annette o'toole is in it um and i i just i really enjoyed it it was nice to see it it's there are these inner cuts of um fishermen that are singing the song blow the man down throughout the the film and it's just really interesting because you know we think of these those kinds of places and like you know especially when they're run by fishing when that's so much of of what the town thrives on and and support how it supports itself and there's this very patriarchal you know con idea construct but um this movie is all about you know that it's really the women that are running things and I just, I loved it. I thought it was great. And I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Cool. I want to check that out. And that, that's Please on do. Netflix, you said? Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, um, yeah, lots of other stuff. Please let us know what you guys are watching this month for Women's History Month and um, some things that we could check out. We did get a couple of questions. We got one from at Noah underscore Saturn. What are some action movies that would be improved by a female director? Um, I mean, all of them. Yeah. <laughs> Every movie would say. be improved by a female director. <laughs> but let's, I guess we can find some specific ones to talk about. Lauren, what do you think? I, I've said, I think I may have said this before. I would really like to see a Fast and Furious film made by a female director. Ooh, yeah. Um, so many of them. I mean, I love, I love the franchise. I think it's ridiculous. It's, it's great. I'm so <laughs> sad that that all of the films have been pushed back. So I was really looking forward to see the next one. But I just, I don't know. I, th I think that a female director could actually explore things in, in maybe a different way, maybe a, a little more. There's all of this stuff about family and fatherhood and brotherhood and everything. And like, I would really like to see a, a woman's take on some of that. And uh, within, you know, within the strictures of, of the, the franchise itself, I'm not saying like you should do parody or anything like that. But I think it would be fun to kind of play with that a little bit more. And I think a female director could give a different perspective on it. But I mean, that's that's true for pretty much any action film. Mm hmm. Definitely. Nanina, do you have any thoughts? Well, Lauren, um, it's the funny thing about the, the Fast and the Furious movies is that I figure that the first one really is kind of just to remake a point break in a way which <laughs> yeah. is one of the True. greatest action movies ever made and and directed uh, by a woman yes Catherine bigelow <laughs> um and i think one of the great things about point break is that Catherine bigelow is able to be looking at this incredibly macho situation and both admiring it in some ways but also undercutting it in others and bringing that complexity to these very male relationships and the uh, sort of 
idea of the rush for the adrenaline uh, junkie um, mm-hmm. and just the absolutely stunning visuals that she brings to it. Um, but there's always that element of skepticism underneath it. Um, and I always find it funny when people unironically like really celebrate uh Patrick Swayze's character Bodie and be like, yes, he, he knew what he was doing. And I'm like, but did you watch the film? Like he completely <laughs> is a hypocrite and everything that he says is undercut by things that he ends up doing. And that's part of what's so great when you get someone like Catherine Bigelow, um, even if it's uh, still a very macho film, it, is that sort of able to question and twist a little bit the um, macho-ness of the um, film, mm-hmm. which is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And that's not what the Fast and the Furious does. No! <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> I would, I mean, now that we've seen Birds of Prey, I would love to see what Kathy Ann could have done with Suicide Squad. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. that would have been, yeah, what might have been. I don't know. <laughs> and then I also, they're going to keep insisting on giving us the movies. They're never going to let the franchise die. So I would like to see a woman's take on James Bond. Yeah. Yeah. Not a female James Bond, but a just, female director's take on it. Just a woman directing it. Yeah, no, I think that that would be a really good idea. I would love to mm-hmm. see that. Again, with that, that kind of thing, that undercutting of the macho sort yeah. of, you know, it's just like, ah, oh, yes. One of the problems that I've had with the current James Bonds is that they take themselves so incredibly seriously. Yeah. And one of the fun points, I feel, of, of at least some of the best James Bonds is that there is always this sense of camp. And I would, yeah, a woman could definitely be like, guys, this is pretty stupid. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, let's let's admit the fact that this is dumb, and and enjoy yeah. it, you know. Yep, exactly. And I think actually, I think Daniel Craig would be totally down for that at this point. <laughs> I think he's welcoming something like that. I don't think he wants to be this serious, you know dour James Bond anymore. Yeah. No, so. I really don't think he wants that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so thank you, Nat- Noah, for the question. And then we also got a question from Keith at KH Derek. What is your favorite commercial featuring a celebrity before they had their big break? For me, there is no beating Bruce Willis in the Seagram's commercial. I have one. You, you do? I do. It's, um... Oh my gosh, I forgot his <laughs> I forgot his real name. Matt LeBlanc in the Heinz ketchup commercial. He's the dude who puts the Heinz bottle up on the building and then runs down the stairs and has to jump over all these obstacles and stuff to put ketchup on his hot dog and he gets down to the bottom and by then the ketchup finally has started to come out of the bottle. <laughs> yep. <laughs> When wow. I found out that was Matt LeBlanc, because it was way before Friends, and when I found out that was Matt LeBlanc, I was just like, oh my gosh. Yeah, one of those funny moments. Do you guys have one? Can you think of any? I don't. I haven't been able to think of one. I'm certain that there are ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that, like, I think it was David Tennant did, like, a really bad... Uh, it wasn't a commercial, though. It was, like, a... It was a... um. 
Uh, it's either David Tennant or Michael Sheen because I saw it on the Graham Norton show. But uh, it, it was it was like a, a a PSA, one of those like PSA commercials where it's just like don't smoke, kids, and stuff like that. And it's just it's just really really funny. Like it's an NHS kind of, uh, and and he plays like a a peer a guy who's like do he's a really cool guy who's like peer pressuring other people. But it's also the eighties. It's it's very funny. I'm going to have to find that. That sounds amazing. <laughs> Any others you can think of? The only other one I could think of was um, there was this Sizzler commercial back in the 80s. And it was like, there's this little girl out to dinner with her parents. You only see her. You can hear her parents talking, but you only see her. And it's an ad for all you can eat shrimp. <laughs> and so they, she eats the shrimp and then they bring her more and then she tries to eat those and then they bring her more and her eyes just keep getting bigger and bigger as they keep bringing her shrimp it's jody sweeten from full house but it was way before full house she's just this cute little like four-year-old and yeah i remember watching that commercial all the time when i was a kid and then later when full house i was like wait that's the shrimp girl wow. so yeah uh, anyway, so thank you for those questions. Those were great. Um, let's talk about a couple of more movies. You, Lauren, saw Song of Songs? Yeah. The, okay, this is weird. Why? Uh, I guess... This... <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is actually... My, my full review will, in fact, be up on our website because this is a Kino Lorber release uh, yeah. that was recently released on, on Blu-ray. And... Uh, it is a 1933 film starring Marlena Dietrich as, wait for it, a naive German peasant girl. Oh. oh. Uh, who, her father dies and she moves to Berlin to move in with her aunt. And across the street, uh, she notices a young man who is a sculptor. And she eventually winds up becoming his model and posing for him. But one of the, the bizarre things about it is that it is Marlena Dietrich, but she, for like three quarters of the film, she is a waif. She's like this, this, you know, naive girl who's like all very romantic and everything. And essentially what happens is she, she begins falling in love with the sculptor as she poses for, uh, a, a sculpture that he's going to call the song of songs. And, and it's, and basically we don't see Marlena Dietrich naked, but we almost see Marlena Dietrich naked numerous times. Wow. Uh, and and this is a 1933 film, so it's just at the end of the code. This is just a pre-code film. And what winds up happening is um, the Baron von Mersbach, played by Lionel Atwill, who ma who played villains all the time. Like if you've seen any early 1930s films, you have seen him, and you've seen him be a villain. Uh, basically, falls in love with her image and. Uh, decides that, you know, he's, he's going to marry her and carry her away, essentially. And over the course of the film, it's basically about men trying to manipulate her and turn her into the things that they want her to be. And over as the film went on, I was like, okay, for the most part, Dietrich is being like this very kind of naive girl who's sort of being manipulated. At some point, she's going to have to become Dietrich. Like that very recognizable figure, right? And when she does, it is amazing because you actually see this, the arc of her character and the nuance of her performance. And it really, it's very much her film. It's focused on her. 
the despite the fact that these men are constantly trying to manipulate her, it, a lot of it really is about her eventually becoming self-possessed and in and sometimes in not great ways. But it's it's a fascinating film just to look at via Dietrich's persona. And when she finally as I joked to my roommate, she finally went full Dietrich. When that when that happens, it's wonderful. Like she's great and and you can see the transformation from this this girl to into this, you know, very mature with the with the deep sultry voice and she sings a song and uh and all and the men begin to get mad at her basically because she because throughout this entire film they've been trying to manipulate her and mold her and then suddenly she's like okay I'm just going to become something else uh, and she does and it's not necessarily a good thing but it is definitely it is definitely something that that isn't something that they can control uh, so it's it's a fascinating film I honestly do not know what to make of it uh, it's directed by Ruben Mamoulian who did a lot he he did. Um, uh, an early version of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde with Friedrich Mark. And so that's kind of one of the places that he's most famous for, but it's, it's a really interesting movie. It is out. It is coming out on Blu-ray uh, from Kino Lorber. And I kind of hope that it's going to wind up on Criterion or someplace like that to watch because I won't be able to see this movie. It is a weird one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have not seen it. Me neither. Have you, Nina? Oh. No, I love Dietrich though. <laughs> she's great but yeah. seriously she plays a waif and i'm like you are yeah. Lena dietrich what is happening i'm trying to imagine that also because she didn't start her career super early she was in her mid-20s i think when um uh der blaue angle came out um i think so yeah. It's not like she ever was a teenager on screen, I don't think, unless I'm wrong here. No, so, in, in this, this is 1933. This is kind of the yeah. height of her career. It's yeah, you know, she's she's on the upward trajectory. She's she's already known, in other words. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a um, wow. And and yes, <laughs> we we almost see Marlena Dietrich naked. So you know, at one point, my, my roommate was like, "Are we?" Is this happening? I was like, we are not going to see Dietrich naked, even in pre-code Hollywood. They can't let that happen. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> wow. Um, well, thank you. That sounds interesting. I will check it out at some point. <laughs> uh, one movie I did watch that I think, Nanina, you requested that we talk about this one, and that is Three Cases oh, of Murder. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you start us off with this one? Well, so Three Cases of Murder, um, it, uh, I came across it because it, um, is, it was originally available on Filmstruck and then also on Criterion Channel now. Um, and, uh, I was just looking for women directors and I was like, oh, Wendy Toy, that's a woman's name. I've never heard of her. And this is from 1955. And so Three Cases of Murder is this anthology film with um, these three seemingly quite separate films that the only linking thing that is immediately apparent is that they all have Alan Bedell in them in some capacity. Um, But um, uh, the... 
first one in the uh, anthology as it stands now is Wendy Toys, and it's called In the Picture. Um, and uh, what, what did you think, uh, Karen? <laughs> that was, it's funny because I watched all of them and then I went back and looked at, I was, I was looking some stuff up, so I didn't know who directed what. Yeah. And that one was my favorite one of the three. And I was like, oh, of course it was when I found out she directed it. <laughs> I, I, w- yeah, it's hard to, I just watched this last night. So yeah. I'm still trying to process it a little bit, but it, it took me a while to figure out what was really going on. Yeah. I don't know if I was just not totally engaged right at the beginning, but, um, but yeah, I thought it I thought it was really fascinating. Once I figured out oh, they're in the painting. Like, yeah. okay. <laughs> and and but once like, yeah. once they make it inside the painting, every shot is a canted angle. So everything's mm-hmm. just a little off kilter. Um and uh just uh Wendy Toy is a fascinating figure in cinema. She uh, started her career at age four as a dancer. She was a dance prodigy in Britain. And her career arc worked its way up through dance from being a dancer to a choreographer starting at the age of 10 or 12. She choreographed her first ballet um, and went on to... um, do uh, a lot of choreography in the theater. That turned into her directing musicals in the theater, which then turned into her directing just straight plays. And then that turned into her becoming a film director. Um, But because of her um, huge... um, uh, grounding in the world of dance. Uh, she was very good at timing in her movies, in physical comedy, and just in the physical movements of her actors throughout a frame. Um, and unfortunately, uh, Three Cases of Murder is the only one of her films that is available to be seen in the U.S., though you can buy um, most of her other films in Region 2 DVDs um, from the UK, but you need to be able to play them. Um, and I think that she is such a fascinating director. But Three Cases of Murder uh, was her second film after she had uh, done a short film starring Alan Bedell as well. Uh, called The Stranger Left No Card. And you can watch it in not great condition, but you can watch it on YouTube, and it's a fascinating short. And that film got seen by the producer Alexander Korda, uh, and he sent it to the Cannes Film Festival. And it won uh, the best short film at the Cannes Film Festival in 1953. Um, And Alexander Korda hired both Wendy Toy and uh, Alan Bedell on a contract for his studio. And uh, when Corda was trying to come up with another project for Wendy Toy, um, he had found these three short stories that he thought could go together. And so Alexander Corda and Wendy Toy 
came up with this concept of three cases of murder and having each of the cases of murder be directed by different um, directors. And she chose that she wanted to do in the picture, which was supposed to be the last one um, originally, um, because the concept was that uh, you killed Elizabeth would come first and Ellen Bedell would play a ma- minor character in that. I believe he plays the bartender in that one. It's my least favorite one. So I haven't seen it in a little while. And then the next one was going to be Lord Mondrago where Alex Bedell was going to be co-starring with another actor. And then the third one, Alex Bedell was going to be the star And the progression also was going to be in that way because You Killed Elizabeth has almost no supernatural elements in it. Lord Mondrago has some supernatural elements creeping in. And then in the picture is just a wild, supernatural, weird thing. Um, And one of the most delightfully weird things I've ever seen. Um, And Wendy uh, was also the one who was going to direct the uh, framing device for all of these. And the framing device was that uh, there would be, you would be on a tour of a museum. um, And your tour guide would be taking you through the exhibits and would say, this um, particular exhibit reminds me of this rather macabre story. And then it would go into You Killed Elizabeth. And then you'd come back to the tour guide and he'd go to a different room and he would say at a different exhibit that this reminds me of a prime uh, a member of parliament, Lord Mondrago and that whole story. And they would go into that and then you would get to in the picture and you would be back in the framing device and you would stay there <laughs> and the tour would leave <laughs> And you would suddenly start to realize that the last case of murder was going to intimately involve our tour guide who has been showing us through the um, uh, museum and the whole film so far, Jarvis. And um, if you've seen three cases of murder, you will see that this is not at all the case. But that was the way Wendy Toy had structured it. And uh, she had already filmed uh, the framing device and in the picture. And um, uh, David Eady had filmed You Killed Elizabeth, but they were still looking for a co-star for Lord Mondrago um, uh, to be the other um, guy with Alan Bedell. And so... As uh, Wendy Toy was finishing up in the picture, Alexander Corda called her into his office and he was like, I have great news. We have a (laughs) co-star for Lord Mondrago. It's Orson Welles. And the worst uh, idea ever. I'm sorry. <laughs> the second you bring in Orson Welles as an actor, you're just like, oh, well, it's fucked anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, so Wendy's like, okay, that's that's great. Big name. Um, and Alexander Cordes like, there's only one thing. Orson's demanding that his short 
be the last one. Of course he is. Um, and Wendy's like, um, that's not going to work. <laughs> uh, because there, there's this whole structure that we've planned out. And, um, yeah, that you can't have the tour guide showing you through the whole thing and then ending with the tour guide's story. Or, or you can't start with the tour guide's story and then have him continuing on. Uh, for obvious reasons, if you've seen uh, in the picture. Um, and really, when you know this, you realize that in the picture is a really brilliant way of ending the whole thing instead of beginning it, not the least because it's by far the best short. Um, so all of the others look a little weak in comparison. Um, so, but it, because Orson Welles was such a big name and because he was so completely oblivious to all of the work that had gone into it before, it meant that they had to do this whole scramble, reorganize the order of the films and refilm a framing device. And what they did in the end was a completely sort of masterpiece theater, just a guy in a room saying, let me tell you this creepy story. Um, and all of the careful structuring of making three cases of murder a coherent whole got thrown out. Um, and uh, it means that the current version as it stands feels really uneven. Uh, you don't have the sort of rising of the number of supernatural elements in each one. You don't have Alan Bedell becoming more and more significant characters in each one. The, it's kind of amazing how much got removed just by reorganizing the order of those three shorts. Um, uh, and so um, I say if Somewhere in a vault of whoever owns Alexander Corda's uh, sort of production, all of the footage, if they can recreate the Wendy Toy version of Three Cases of Murder, release the Wendy Toy Cut is all I have to say. Oh my gosh, yes. Now it's like, I didn't know any of that. And now that's, I want that version. Because what yeah, I saw, I was like, yeah, I like this, this is good. I really liked in the picture. Um, but Oh my gosh, that's an yeah. actual good movie. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, because it, it actually has an arc. Because you're right. right the the film the film as it stands doesn't really have an arc. It, it's three separate stories. Yeah. And and they each have you know their own rising and falling action and everything. That's so unfortunate. But again, again, the second you bring in Orson Welles, the second Orson Welles pops up, you're just like, well, everything's fucked. Like it's either what he wants or it's nothing. Yeah. And you know how I found out about this? Um, because if you just search uh, for Three Cases of Murder on Wikipedia or something, none of this is out there. But there's an amazing uh, British entertainment oral history project that interviewed Wendy Toy back in 92. And it's available on SoundCloud. And I listened to all four hours of it. And you can hear her tell the whole story, I think, at about hour two. Um, but, wow. yeah, it was just amazing hearing her describe what happened. Um, 
because when I was listening initially and she was like, yes, and mine was going to be the last. And I'm like, but no, Wendy, yours is the first. And then the whole story ends fools. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really crazy. Um, so yeah, Orson Welles ruins everything basically. Is <laughs> the last. Orson Welles ruins everything. And when you silence women's voices, the art suffers. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been Man. such a better film. It really would have. Now I'm going to be mourning all day for what could have been. <laughs> uh, no, I have been for the last few weeks, so oh, thank man. you for joining me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and I'm, only, and I'm mostly sad because the reason why I initially watched Three Cases of Murder like ages ago was because Patrick McNee, uh, <laughs> who eventually grew up to be John Steed in The Avengers, has an uncredited role in it. And I was like, oh, I'll watch this. And, you know, I was like, oh, Orson Welles is in it. Oh, that'll be fun and everything. What I did not realize was that you literally see Patrick McNee's shoulder and that's it. Because <laughs> all, all of his actual scenes were cut down or cut out of oh. the film. So sitting there, I was just like, I know that shoulder. That's Patrick McNee. <laughs> and that was about it. So I was just like, I watched that whole fucking movie being like, when is he coming on? And then I was like, oh, all right, never mind. Uh, Lauren, but I enjoyed it anyways. <laughs> only yeah. you would recognize Patrick McNee's shoulder. It's a it's very true. recognizable shoulder. Okay. Like I just have to, to say, just like, that is his shoulder. I can tell. <laughs> never change, Lauren. Never change. Thank you. but i would recommend the movie i mean still watch it anyway even though it's not as good as it could have been yeah um individual shorts are good yeah yeah and and just in the picture itself is just such a fascinating wonderful creepy delight um the way she uses yeah the way she like you were mentioning the angles and things but just like also the way someone will speak a line and then it just kind of hangs there and nobody reacts for a second. And, and you're just kind of like wondering, well, what's, what is, what are they really talking about? And the, the woman who's constantly like complaining about the matches and the candles and, um, yeah, I I love it. It it really is. It's, it's creepy, but it's this gradual creepiness. Yeah. And, and, but there's a lot of humor too. Mm -hmm. Um, and and when you find out what's been happening to all of the exhibits in the museum (laughs) and why they've disappeared, um, I, it it really, um, I've watched it probably four or five times and it, it definitely holds up on multiple viewings. I can't say the same for the other two, um, shorts, but in the picture is, uh, one of my happy places. It's kind of funny because I think I like the Orson Welles one the least, actually. Yeah. I think, yeah. I, I'm I'm not a fan of You Killed Elizabeth. I think it's a little misogynistic, actually. But well, uh, yeah, it definitely <laughs> is. But yeah. Hmm. But <laughs> it would have been so fascinating to see them in the right order, though. Yeah. Yes. Because they would have built on each other then. <laughs> yes. You know what? We're gonna we're gonna start that hashtag. Release the toy cut. <laughs> yep. 
I like it. So, well, thank you so much for joining us this week. That's going to finish things up this time around, but it was great to have you here, Nanina. Thank Um, you so much for having me on again. Yeah, and you're welcome back anytime. We also want to thank you as one of our patrons, and all (laughs) of our patrons. (laughs) Um, And so just wanting to thank everyone. We've got Heather, Adriana, the Crooked Table Podcast, Michael, James, Katie, Cariata, Mason, Matthew, Monty, Nanina, Nicole, Robert, Sharon, Steve, Tao, and Will. Thank you all so much for your support. Um, we <laughs> there we go. Awesome. <laughs> um, we are definitely doing some bonus stuff this coming week. We've already talked about it, yeah. so we're not sure exactly what all we're gonna do. We are gonna we're making plans to do our um, March Madness bracket, even though March Madness is off. The dames are still going. Um, So we'll have more information about that soon uh, in the next few days. You can, of course, if you'd like to support the show, you can find us on patreon.com slash citizen dame. You do get early access. You get get to hear the episodes two weeks before, or not two weeks, two days before everybody else and and, uh, some other perks too. You can support us with um, our Ko-Fi account, ko-fi.com slash citizen name. We know times are hard for people. So obviously, if this is a hard time for you, we do not. You're listening to us is more than enough. So um, and let's see. But you can follow along and join us in the conversations at Twitter and Instagram, citizen dame pod on Facebook, facebook.com slash citizen dame. You can send us emails at citizen, sorry, citizendamepod at gmail.com. And be sure to check out our official website, citizendamepod.com, where you will be able to read Lauren's review of Song of Songs. <laughs> you can also find us individually. Nanina, where can people find you on the internet? Um, I, I'm at Nanina Gilder on Twitter. Um, and I mostly post about women film directors usually before 1960 and it's always really interesting stuff i learned so much from you so thank you and lauren where are you at i am on twitter and instagram at lh business taking pictures of stuff off my balcony for the foreseeable future (laughs) your view is getting very clear out there yeah it was really nice yesterday i have to say yep and i am on twitter and instagram at karen m peterson So thank you all so much for joining us this week, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Come all you young fellows that follow the sea to me way, blow the man down. Put a vent on your ears and listen to me. Give me some time to blow the man down on a New England Isle in a good seaport town. To me, blow the man down. The fishing pays nicely if you don't drown. Give me some time to blow the man down. Where boys become greenhorns and greens become mates. To me, blow the man down. And if you ain't into fishing, hell, you're in the wrong place. Give me some time to blow the man down. To me, Give me some time to blow 